0: into left center and what a play made by the rookie brian o'grady
1: pitch
0: oh in the right field brian o'grady first big league home run fly ball center field struck
1: well bariznik going back at the wall welcome back brian o'grady
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 32 of Breaking Bass, presented to you by Not For Long Media. I'm your host, Brian O'Grady. And with me, as always, my co-host, Justin Ayers, J.A. How you doing, dude? A lot going on. Good college football weekend. But more importantly, baseball season's wrapping up. We got
1: playoffs coming up soon. A lot of stuff happening. How you doing, man? I'm great. Yeah. I started seeing those articles pop up where it's like the last couple weeks of the year. It's like the, the season series that matter the most. And you know, we're getting ready. The, the playoff bracket was announced or like the the initial one as of today. So a lot of fun stuff happening in major league baseball. It'll be fun to see. We, you know, we're going to talk about a couple teams that have already clinched the playoff spot. And then we're going to try to see who's going to wrap up these, these other wild cards. There's not, not a lot of big races for the wild cards, which we'll talk about. Um, it's not as close. Maybe the NLB is a little closer than anywhere else, but yeah, it's, it's a fun time for baseball right now, but I still have my college football Saturdays and my NFL Sundays. So, um, you know, those two days aside, we're doing pretty good. Otherwise.
2: Yeah, no doubt. It's still, it's definitely baseball season and it's, it, I love it. Uh, college football Saturdays can't beat it. NFL, my Eagles are looking pretty good, so I'm happy right now, but, uh, Baseball season. The playoffs are great, man. You know, it's baseball so long that I feel like it starts to like, you know, you get a little bit of that lull once football season hits and everybody's like really excited yeah. for football again. But then, you know, the races pick up. Judge is going for 60 homers, which we'll talk about. And like things like that are happening. And then the playoffs happen. And the playoffs are every year are fucking awesome in baseball and everyone gets fired up again and it's it's great so yeah the football takes away from it real quick but then you just you you can't beat the the end of the season and the playoff the playoff push and it's a lot of fun in the world series obviously so uh but before we get to all that stuff who's this episode brought to us
1: by this week's episode is brought to you by your friends at som sleep Are you having enough uh, trouble getting enough sleep at night? Because SOM sleep has you covered. The scientifically advanced SOM snack includes ingredients that are naturally found in your body like GABA, magnesium, and melatonin. Sleep is the best form of recovery, and it has helped people everywhere take their games to the next level. It's simple. All you have to do is drink one serving just 30 minutes before bed, and your body will naturally calm itself down. Other sleep supplements leave you feeling groggy and tired in the morning, but not SOM sleep. Wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer your day. Go to GetSOM.com, click SHOP, and enter the code BATS. E-A-T-S, at checkout for 10% off your entire order of SOM sleep. So we tease it in our little intro there, but the the two teams that have clinched their divisions and have punched their tickets to the postseason are the Astros and the Dodgers. Uh, with the Astros' win last night, they earned a buy into the AL division series. They'll have home field advantage. I mean, th- this division was never really in doubt. If you look at the AL West's entire year, they had a 10-game lead in June, and then they never really had any serious competition after that. They only need three more wins to get to 100, they're at 97 right now, and they, their, their club record for wins is at 107. So we're on, uh, we're on milestone watch there for the Astros. Um, but I didn't realize this. They have won more games than any other AL club since 2017. They're 531 and 324. It's it's insane the run that the Astros have been on. Uh, only one World Series, though. So you can, you can kind of look at it from that perspective. But uh, I want to talk about their manager, Dusty Baker, a little bit. This guy, like, I don't think he gets enough credit. He came in. During the 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 height of the cheating scandal, they just fired uh, AJ Hinch, and it's like, all right, well, this, this team's got a, a you know a cloud hanging over it. And then ever since then, he's just he's just won. He's been to a World Series, been to ALCS. Like, do you think that Dusty deserves more credit when talking about the greatest managers of all time?
2: Yeah, sure. I think I think a lot of people hold Dusty in, in pretty high regard. Uh, he's obviously managed a lot of good teams over over his career. He's managed a lot of great players over his career and you know I think I think and he would probably say the same thing it starts with that obviously he's been blessed with some of some of the players and teams that he's gotten to manage but the the whole scandal and how bad that was and when he took over you know they still had the core of those guys there which obviously helps but whatever message he was given to them, obviously, you know, rang true. And that's, yeah, that's, that's huge because you need, you need, you need a leader like that. Uh, he, he's, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know Dusty, but he seems very calm uh, Been doing this obviously a very long time. So it just, that's the, the vibe I get from him is that every, you know, he keeps everybody even keel and, and that guys really like him as a manager my guess would be that he communicates very well. Uh, and he, yeah, he's a, he's a great manager. So, you know, all time, who knows, but he wins a lot. I, I, that's all I know. And yeah, the no world series is I guess a knock, but at the same time, man, winning a world series is really, really, really hard for a billion reasons, but they could do it this year. I didn't think they were going to be as good. I thought the Mariners, you know, would be – and the Mariners have come on. But I thought throughout the season between the Mariners and thought the Angels would be a little bit better. But didn't turn out that way. And every time you look at the box score, the fucking Astros score nine runs and, you know, give up one, and they win every, every day. At the Yankees. Like, they're uh, – in, you know, talk about it now. They're my, they're my pick for the AL. Houston. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. they just, I mean, it's, a you know, <laughs> not a hot take there, but they just did. They just, they just win. that's, that's all they do. And now they're, they're the one seed and they're going to be at home. Um, and those guys have been there, done that. They know, they know how to win And Yeah. They lost Correa, but Jeremy Pena is, is a, is a good player, man. I, Fight against him in AAA last year. I was like, "Who the hell is this guy?" Looks like he looked a little uh, preview of, of coming later. He looks like a, a running back. He that dude's an athlete, and he's played well. And the rest of those guys—Bregman, Altuve, you know, Tucker—all of them, Alvarez—they they got a—they they got a really good team, man. They—they're scary. And I, you know, even when the Yankees were dominating, and Houston went in there and no hit them and i think swept them that series like i think that's when a lot of people were like oh shit houston is still it and the yankees were probably thinking we need home field for that and they don't got it so i i
1: got houston but anyway sorry dusty yeah awesome he just seems like the ultimate players manager. Like, I feel like that's, we, we, we've talked about managers and how different types, you know, get the, guys get the best out of their players in different ways. But yeah, everything that, I remember when he was in DC, the guys absolutely loved them. It was it was a shame that they didn't have, like, success out of the NLDS. They couldn't get out of the NLDS with Dusty there. Like, but as a regular season manager, you look at it like his career, like record year by year, it's like 95, 97 wins. So yeah, he, he's doing something right. But uh, yeah, obviously, to get to the uh, the World Series with Houston last year was a great accomplishment for him. But yeah, it, Houston Houston's no joke. So the play the playoff picture if the season ended today, so Houston obviously has that one seed. They play the winner of uh, the four seed, which is Toronto, or uh, playing the five seed, which is Tampa. So they'd be playing either Toronto or Tampa in the second round. Uh, that's if the playoff started today, which I, I I think it might just end up being that. Yeah, that's it's fun. The Orioles are completely out of it. They're five back. What, what a year though, 76 and 70. If you would have told me over 500 in late September, I wouldn't have believed you. So we're doing, we're doing They're better. They're in a great spot.
2: Listen, man, I said this to you before, and they hung in longer than I thought they would. So I'll give them that too. But what a, you know, that's a, that's a phenomenal year for the, for the Orioles. And they got better years ahead. So good for them. If they made the playoffs this year, that would have been pure insanity so okay shout out to shout out to the Orioles looking forward to, to watching that team in the future
1: they got they got the dudes uh speaking of dudes uh Aaron Judge uh, Triple Crown Watch we are officially on Aaron Judge Triple Crown Watch uh he hit two home runs on Sunday against the Brewers he has 59 so all those conversations we had about will he get to 61 it's, it's now a matter of of when uh he's he's on the precipice of becoming only the sixth man to hit 60 or more home runs in a season and he's he's gonna do it without getting popped for PEDs, so that'll be that'll be a fun one to watch. Um, but I think all of this th- like something that's been lost in this chase for sixty one is just the Triple Crown watch because people don't realize I think how great of an all around like season he is having offensively. So he has fifty nine home runs, one hundred twenty seven RBIs, and he's batting three sixteen. Um, I think he's tied for second in the AL with Xander Bogarts, and then Luis Arrieta is hitting three seventeen so he's only a tick off of the the AL batting or the MLB batting average lead and the, and the RBI department he is uh so Alonzo is 118 and Judge has 127 so he's you know he's he's comfortably sitting pretty in terms of RBIs but good god at age 30 to have this kind of year I mean I was reading an article on mlb.com just about putting his offensive like season like into perspective in terms of the greatest ones of all time it's insane uh his war right now is like 9 according to baseball it's nine six so a 10 win season for aaron judge it's it's incredible uh we were talking a little bit about his new contract that he'll be getting this off season probably not from the yankees uh what what do you think what do you think the number would be like average annual value like what what kind of deal would you sign aaron judge to if you were a team
2: first of all those numbers are such a joke like 60 homers, whatever he finishes with, and well over 300, you know, 316 right now. I mean, that is, especially in today's age, you don't really see that. Those, you know, Luis Arias is a is a, is a good contact hitter, but I don't think he's got 10 homers this year. Probably, I, I I I say that because I remember I think he hit like one or two in a game, and it was a big deal. Um, eight, so he's got eight. So. You know <laughs> Bogarts hits. You know Bogarts hit some homers, but judge that kind of power. He was slugging over seven hundred the last time, and that's that's. I mean, that's just crazy. So yeah, he's going to get a nice contract. Where does it start? We were we were kind of debating this before we started recording, and and I I, I think it starts at. 35 30 35 i'm gonna say because the only knock on him is that he, he he's kind of late it says uh, so he's 30 so he'll be going into his age 31 season so i don't know what the length will be but we have the highest annual value is trout at 36 did you say
1: yeah for a possession so, player and then scherzer as a yeah. pitcher is 43
2: so it's i would say it's starting at 35 right around right in that area but then after that it's going to depend on the the team and the number of years so i I could see him getting more and signing a a a shorter deal if the new york mets throw that money at him you know cohen is like hey man i'll give you three years and you know 120 million dollars and he's got you know 40 million a year right there that's so it's, I don't see him getting that eight, nine year contract, but could happen. Never know. I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know. I just, I think teams are wary of that stuff now, but I, he couldn't do any better. Like he couldn't this season, I mean, so the Yankees, I think they asked who today. They Asked somebody, I think they asked Glass now on one of that, whatever podcast that is, and he was like, Just give him a blank check, <laughs> basically. Like, and in, in my opinion, dude, I said this before the Yankees can't let, like, that's basically what the Yankees have to do. They can't let him walk, especially to Queens. So, yeah, you're telling me Cohen offers him 140 million dollars for three years? The Yankees are just going to be like, Well, thanks, Aaron. Good triple crown we'll see you later like that's gonna be an absolute shitstorm. storm
1: bet it on yourself it, it always works like he rejected that seven year 213 and a half million dollar contract which would have gave him like a little over 30 per year would have been average annual value for that which wouldn't even been in the top like i looked up the average annual value for position players and it's it's hilarious it's it's like mike trout carlos correa rendon Lindor, like, these are the guys that are getting paid the big bucks. Uh, and then for pitchers, unfortunately, Steven Strasburg is still up there. So hopefully he can figure out that thoracic outlet syndrome. Um, but I digress. It's it's going to be great. I can't wait to see what he signs with, who he signs with. But it's the, the triple crown is something I wouldn't have expected from Judge. Because, like, I mean, this year he's he, like, has 92 walks. He, he has an on-base of 419. It's like he's having a, a fantastic all-around, like, if this was the late nineties, you'd be like, "Yeah, that makes sense." But it's like, yeah, like you said, it's in twenty twenty two with all the pitching and and Bill Ripken talking about why the league averages down. Like he's he's just one of the the outliers in baseball. It's fantastic. I would, yeah, I would give him. I mean, he's probably going to want more than Scherzer per per average annual value. So if he wants that, maybe he could go fifty for five, fifty for six, yeah. something like that.
2: I said when you first said this, I said fifty. And then I was like, "That makes sense. I don't know. That's so much fun in my head. Like I said, 50 and I'm like, wait a second. That is so much fucking That's so <laughs> much money. But I, dude, I mean, you're talking about all those guys being in the 30 range. Like he's got to get what he's got to get more than that is does, you know, it depends what he wants, I guess honestly, if, if he wanted that, that, that average annual value in a little short, you know, four or five years, I'm sure he can get that from somebody. If he wants to try to push it seven, eight years, nine years, whatever he wants, then it's, you know, at some point on the back end or something, I would guess the teams would want to try to put it down, but he's, dude, he's got it. He's worth every penny. How can you, how can you say he's not, he's doing it in New York. I said this before on here, that team, you know, if you take him away from that team, obviously war says they would lose 10 more games than they would with them. But you take him away for like I don't know where they are. Honestly, that he is the impact he has is insane. And sorry, Otani and all the Otani lovers, but he's he has to be MVP this year.
1: Most games played on the Yankees right now. Aaron Judge one forty two. The next closest is Glaber at one thirty. So durability, <laughs> not a concern. Yeah, dude, if you take him off, the, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, you, well, you, and you had a good point about this too. Is that he's a big dude and getting older. Well, bigger these... dudes usually have have an issue with that. And he's in great shape. I'm not, but just he's a big human.
1: A but, lot of stress on the on the body there when you're two hundred eighty five yeah, pounds. Well,
2: now him and I believe Boris is his agent, right? I think.
1: let uh, yeah. check. Oh out wait, no, it's before. PSI Sports Management.
2: Oh yeah, no, I knew what I do that anyway. What am I talking about? Sorry, PSI. PSI. They're gonna point to well he played, he's gonna he's gonna play what 155 games this year or whatever. He finishes that. Like, oh, you're worried about his durability? This dude just went out there and played every day almost every single game for the for the Yankees and and did that so I'm
1: I honestly am like very excited to see how it plays out I can't wait it's it's gonna be the best I can't wait for this offseason um so uh we have a couple more things for you guys this week uh we have our fudging awesome moment of the week and it's pirates themed
2: you love your pirates I mean can't can't argue about that you're you're a dc baltimore guy but I think you're a, you're a Yinzer at heart there. And our fudging awesome moment of the week is brought to you by our sponsor, the original Fudge Kitchen. You can find them online at fudgekitchens with an S.com. They're shipping sweet treats and fudge all over the country. Unfortunately, well, kind of fortunately, because I'm a fall guy, but unfortunately, summer's coming to an end. So, our Jersey Shore and Philly listeners, if you're still down the shore, you can go see them in North Wildwood, Wildwood, Stone Harbor, Ocean City, uh-huh. and Cape May. That's the original Fudge Kitchen. And you can find them online at FudgeKitchens with an S.com. They ship all over the country. Can't wait to get some when I get back to America.
1: So, this week's Fudging Awesome Moment of the Week, it's a great story. Uh, it's like I said, it's a Pittsburgh Pirates themed, it's a, a season long story as opposed to a singular event. So, I, I read MLB.com had this great piece about Pirates catcher Jason DeLay. He was a fourth round pick out of Vandy, so shout out the Vandy boys. He didn't put up big numbers in the off in the minor leagues. He was at Triple A this past summer. This year, he was told it's like, hey, you're not going to play anymore. We're going to move you down the depth chart. We're going to give your reps to other people, uh, and he would be moved as the bullpen catcher. So not even getting in any games. So that was at Triple A Indianapolis, and so he's like, I don't, I don't want to just ride the bench. I, I, this isn't how I saw my baseball career panning out. He, he thought about it, and he saw on the calendar they had a road trip to Gwinnett, uh, to play the Braves AAA team, and his family's from that area, so he thought, "I'll go with the team to Gwinnett. I'll pack my apartment up, and then I'll that'll be my last like road trip series, whatever you want to call it, in professional baseball." So then he got a break though. Uh, the Pirates bullpen catcher with the big club got COVID, so they put delay on the taxi squad with the big club, and then he was there. He was like in like these install meetings with pitchers, and then a, like a bullpen pitcher, I think on the Pirates also got COVID, so they needed to fill the roster spot. And since Jason was already in the building and already was working with the staff, they put him on the actual roster. Uh, and it's been great. Since then, he's played in 47 games. He has a home run. One of the best defensive catchers in all of baseball. He has four defensive runs saved, and he's in the 78th percentile of pitch framing. So it's just been a great under-the-radar like, story for baseball this season. Jason DeLay you know, going from the brink of retiring and hanging him up to everyday catcher, and he's probably going to be back on the team next year while they wait for Top prospect Henry Davis in the minor leagues to get ready. So uh how cool is that?
2: That's absolutely wild. Good for him. What a roller coaster that must have been. <laughs> now doing it and playing well. So good for him. Catching defensively like that. That'll that'll help you stick around. So good for him, man. That's a that's a never heard of one like that. So good story
1: right there. There's always room in this league for defensive minded catchers.
2: You got that right. Well, you know, who really wants to get back there and just get beat up and get these balls absolutely thrown at you as hard as they can and take <laughs> foul tips and things yep. like You know, it's not fun. It's not a fun life back there. You're – the Washington Nationals catcher knows about that right now. <laughs> K. Bear Ruiz. Per, key, yeah, poor Ruiz, man. Tough. One in tough line back there. Yeah. That's why, they, that's why they get the big bucks and, you know, get to uh, get the big leagues a little bit faster typically.
1: They're yeah. crazy, it's insane. So, shout out Jason DeLay. Uh, so, all right, last but not least, this week we have our top five to clean up last week's top five. Uh, I won handily, it was 78 to 22. So, uh, that was the tug of war like squad that we assembled. So, be sure to vote each week, every Friday, on Breaking Bats Pod on Instagram. Uh, in honor of football, which we've talked about a little bit today, we're going to be doing uh, a top five. But it's instead of a top five, it's going to be we're going to be doing a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end made with just baseball players. So we're, we're going to take current active MLB players and we're going to see which guys would fit best if we put them in at these positions on the football field. Uh, I will start us off at quarterback. It's going to be JT Real Muto. JT 6'1, 212. In high school, was first team All State quarterback. 20 touchdowns. He averaged 100 rushing yards per game in high school. Uh, and I looked at, because obviously catchers have to throw the ball in the stack cast tracking of pop time, which is from when the ball hits the catcher's mitt to when it goes to second base, he leads all of baseball with 1.82 seconds. So JT would absolutely be able to r- run around back there and sling it. My running back is Tommy Fam. He's 6'1", 223. I think he would just bring a toughness and a grittiness to the position. He would fight for every single yard, every single possession. Uh, and I think he could probably catch some passes out of the backfield with that you know, ball tracking ability he has out there in the outfield. So an above-average speed to boot. So my wide receiver, Byron Buxton. He's 6'2", 190. That's a prototypical wide receiver build. In high school, he played wide receiver. He's in the 92nd percentile for speed this year and obviously being in center field. He he knows, he knows how to run and he knows how to catch balls. So uh, that would be my wide receiver. And last but not least, my tight end is Giancarlo Stanton. He's 6'6, 245. And I didn't know this, but coming out of high school as a 17 year old, he was recruited by Pete Carroll at USC to play tight end. They, they, they really wanted him. They saw this kid, Mike Stanton, with this giant build. They're like, all right, we could use him on the gridiron. And uh thankfully he decided to play baseball. So uh that is my that's my offensive squad. Who's yours?
2: I like all your picks. They're they're very good. Um you stole by there, there's some good picks. I would, I would probably go with with some of those too. But mine starting a quarterback, I got Tyler Glass now from the Rays. He is a very, very athletic guy, obviously great arm. I don't think Glass has ever touched a football field growing up, but if we molded him, I think he could really play the position well. And he's a smart dude, so he'll figure out all the coverages and stuff. My running back is going to be Mike Trout. I mean, you know, built, solid, fast. I feel like when I look at him, he's just he's, he was born to be a running back, not a center fielder, but loves the Eagles too. So we got that <clears throat> connection going on. Wide receiver, Kevin Kiermaier, obviously gold glove center fielder. I've seen it firsthand, KK flying around out there. Um, I could see him being a nice little Cooper Cup, uh, Julian Edelman, a little slot. I mean, he could definitely do it. And then the tight end. Got to go. I mean, it, we talked about this. It's got to be Judge. It, it, he's just a massive human, good athlete. I'm sure he was a, an actual football player in high school, too. So uh, I don't know about the rest of the guys. Let's put that caveat in there. This is just I know you did your research with uh, Real Mudo. And I actually, my buddy went to high school with him, knows him. So I actually knew he was a good football player. But this is just purely based off my instincts of watching them on the baseball field. I've, I know there are a lot of really good football players in the MLB or guys who played football who are in the MLB. So I'm sure they're, they're going to yell at us, which is great. And, but that's my list right there. Yeah.
1: I like it. Yeah. I like, uh, you know, I, the only thing with trout though, is, you know, I worry about the durability concern with, uh, with trout at running back. I don't know. I don't know if you're getting a full 17 game season from trout at running back. He might, he might get beat up there. The backfield, yeah, but other
2: than that, I thought it was great. We might have to share the carries. I might have to get a RB2 in there to get the uh, you know, share the carries, give them <laughs> split the workload breaks there. Yeah. Tony
1: Pollard in Dallas, yeah, <laughs> something like that. A we'll little change, a we'll little change of pace guy we'll in there. But... Back. So, uh, one last thing, but then we'll set up our interview for this week. Uh, we wanted to give a shout out to our friend of the podcast, it is a company called Actions Over Words. They're an apparel brand with the mission of encouraging people to use their actions instead of their words. Founded in Cape May, New Jersey, by Alec Levin, who's a fantastic dude. Uh, they donate $5 of every sale to different charities around the world. Check them out at actionsoverwordsapparel.com. Use the code N4L for 10% off your order of tees, hats, hoodies, and more. Our
2: interview for this week Reds outfielder TJ Friedel. He could be a little change pace back, a little undersized, but he, he moves pretty quick. Uh, My buddy played with him in the minor leagues with the Reds. Uh, Obviously, since then, he's been in the big leagues, and he's he's playing pretty well right now, which is awesome. Great dude. Uh, Really interesting story, though. He was undrafted, uh, basically because teams didn't realize he was draft eligible, and that was the only reason. So he ended up being the highest paid undrafted player in history, and it all worked out for him now. But really cool story. I know you enjoyed it, too.
1: Yeah, it was it was great. I yeah, the the story of the getting draft, being draft eligible is I I just can't believe that back then nobody nobody thought like ahead of time like hey you know what maybe maybe we should look into this a little bit more uh, up until the very end there. So yeah, definitely stay tuned for that. But yeah, just just an awesome guy. Uh, just a little heads up for our, our audio listeners out there: is the audio it's it's a little it's a little weird. Uh, we tried our best to clean it up, so I wanted to get out ahead of that.
2: With all that being said, we'll send it to our interview with T.J. Friedel. And joining us today on Breaking Bats is Reds outfielder TJ Friedel, my former teammate in the minor leagues, the Reds, still my buddy to this day. TJ, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it.
0: What's up, man? Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, man, been following you. You've been playing pretty well lately. I'm always always happy to see that. But, you know, we go way back. God, I guess, when did we meet? Was it Instructs? Maybe it Instructs one year, 20, 2016,
0: year. 2016, and probably was then, the first time we met.
2: Yeah. And then, uh, ended up together my like little stint in high A and then for those like a week or two weeks, whatever it was when I read Oh out, yeah. It, we it lived there. together. Oh my, yeah, we did. I forgot <laughs> about that. For
0: that, for that shift in Daytona in 2017. Yeah. And then played EU. in Pensacola in 2018. Yeah. 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 Me, you, Brian, Hunter. Brian Hunter, Zach
2: Weiss.
1: Weiss.
2: <laughs> yeah, bro. Weiss. Oh, my God. Weiss just showed back up in the big leagues, too. I was fired up I to saw, see that the I other day. I saw that. Here in Japan, dude, they um, – Otani, every one of the Angels games are on because of Otani. Like, yeah. at, at, in the clubhouse every day, the Otani is playing. So, I always see fucking Hergit always oh, see Hergit's stupid face yeah. on my TV in Japan all the time. And I always text, I text him like, you're, you're still ugly and send him pictures and uh, he's been throwing well too. But then, uh, yeah. yeah, all of a sudden I see Weiss up there. I'm like, Oh my God, I got Weiss and Herget on my TV in Japan right now. <laughs> a joke. But, Did Weiss um, come back yeah. up there
0: recently? Was that like a recent transaction? Yeah.
2: Like very recent, but For you know, what, Weiss has always been pretty nasty. He just yeah. hasn't got as much opportunity. I faced him. Did I face him? I don't know. He was in Tacoma last year. I think he ended up. Did he get up at all? I forget, but he was he was throwing well in Tacoma last year too. But uh Yeah, yeah he was always, been good. He's always been a fun. good picture. Um but yeah, before before that and the the little twist to, to your story here, the the real interesting part is you went undrafted. I don't want to blow up your spot. You went undrafted and were got the highest signing bonus for an undrafted guy ever because teams didn't know you were draft eligible basically.
0: Yeah. So pretty much. We're
2: going to, yeah, I don't, I don't want to spoil it just yet, but that is uh, the one part to your story. That is very different. And we're going to, we're going to get in that later, but we'll let uh, we'll let J a take it back to, to high school before we get to, to that part. Go ahead. JA.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so TJ to have the kind of success that you did in high school and then to have to walk on in Nevada, what was your decision-making process like at that time?
0: So that was, uh, you know, it was, that was pretty interesting because you know, I was played a uh, sophomore year, varsity junior and then senior year. And every summer I'd go play travel ball and do all the circuits everyone else would do. And um, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it wasn't tough, but it was just, I found it hard to kind of get those opportunities and that exposure that I'd see the guys next to me getting stuff like that. So my senior fall, um, I actually went to the university of Nevada for like a fall scouting camp, basically where they like invite you up and then you, it's like a three day camp. I remember I, I ran a 60. They had like the 60 or dashes set up. I think I ran a, a six, three, four, like on the, on the watch, and and uh, yeah, and so like that was kind of like the, the the first thing of the camp too, right? Like that's where you start out with like that before you even play a game, before you even make a throw in the outfield, like you run the sixty. And uh, so that was kind of like my first exposure. And then at the end of the camp, the uh, former coach Buddy Goldschmidt and Gary Powers, you know, they were talking to me and my parents, and said, "Hey, here's the deal." Uh, we don't have any scholarships available for next year, but, you know, we'd, we'd love to have you up here on campus as, like, a walk-on. So I went back home and, and evaluated kind of everything with my parents, then went into my senior year, played my senior season, and there were a couple of JUCOs that were in the area and were kind of, you know, making me aware of the JUCO route, you know, and, and kind of that option. So, you know, I was talking to my dad, and I was just kind of like, I want to bet on myself, you know. If I'm gonna if i to go, I want to bet on myself. And then if, if I don't make it for some reason, I can I can go to the JUCO that uh, you know was talking to me. And uh, but I wanted to at least give myself that opportunity. Well, going into my freshman year now at the University of Nevada, uh, Coach Powers had retired. He and, and then the assistant coach, Buddy Goldschmidt, he went to New Mexico. So both of them were gone. So they bring Jay Johnson from the University of San Diego, USD. And never heard of him in my life. He'd never heard of me. Um, and basically what happened was he had a whole nother tryout freshman year, like the first or second week of school. He had like a whole nother tryout. And it was it was kind of like an open invitation to anyone on campus. We had about 80-some guys, freshmen, come out like and just try out. And and it was it was crazy. It was like guys who were already on the team mixed with freshmen who had just got to the school, all 85 guys on this field just working out for like four days. Um and so we went through fall, freshman fall, with you know a, probably 50-something guys playing and like competing for spots. And uh and so here I am just trying to impress this coach. That I'd never met he doesn't know me we just met the first day of school and I'm trying to make the team here and and I just you know kept betting on myself and um we had a football game against St. Mary's now I'll remember this day forever and it was me and my roommate Justin Bridgman at the time he was also a walk-on from Reno and um after the game he like told us both like in front of the whole team in the in the locker room that like we made the team and that we weren't getting cut. And so, you know, at that moment I like went outside and I like called my parents and I was like, you know, I did it. Like I made the team. I bet on myself. And like, you know, I, I at least made the team for now. You know, I'm on the team, so I'm gonna stay.
1: To to kind of jump back into what you were saying, like also at that time, didn't weren't people telling you that you were too small for baseball? Like you're too small to, you know, was was that a, a factor in, in all that during that time?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was always kind of like a factor throughout my whole life in high school and every sport. Like, I stopped playing football. Uh, I played basketball all the way up until my senior year. But, like, even in basketball, in, in uh, California playing basketball, is just like, hey, man, you know, let's be realistic, kid. You're kind of short. <laughs> like, <laughs> which, no doubt, but, like, I'll find a way to make it work. And that's what I've always done. You know, I find a way to use, take my size and what I'm good at, which is I'm fast you know, and I use that to my advantage. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I've been told my whole life, but you know, there's always ways to make it work in your favor and kind of know your strengths and play to your strengths.
1: So going from your freshman year at Nevada to your junior year, like what changes did you make to your swing that had this like drastic turnaround?
0: (sighs) Um, so my, after my sophomore year, um, I went and played summer ball in Texas collegiately, and just tried five or six different swings. Cause I was like, you know what, like, let's just, what I'm doing right now is not working. Let's be honest, not working. So let's just try some different things. Um, Watch a lot of YouTube videos like late at night. on like what I can try the next day on the field and BP and uh, just played around with a bunch of things in my swing and, kind of like my setup, my stance, my load, kind of where I want to aim to, to kind of trigger my load, um, and found a swing that worked for me. And so what I found was the swing of where I'm at now, open stance, leg kick, but I was a lot more crouched in college. Like I was really low to the ground in college. And I would kind of still have that big leg kick. Um, but then I think the biggest part for me, and it always has been, is confidence. Always. And so when I came back my junior, that redshirt sophomore, my junior school, my redshirt sophomore in baseball, T.J. Bruce had just came in from UCLA. Played fall ball. Um, you know, once again, he didn't know me. The only thing he knew about me was what he got from Jay Johnson after Jay Johnson left to go to U that. And kind of just, you know, debriefed everyone on the team and who's coming back, who's returning. and um, So he didn't know me at all. So I come back my junior year. I've had a good summer in Texas. And, um, you know, come back in fall ball, having a good year in fall ball. Still a walk-on at that point. And he calls me in his office right before Christmas break. Well, no, right before Thanksgiving break. calls me in his office and, and he goes, hey, um, yeah, I really like you. What you did this fall, your hard work, and you're going to be a big part of this team. Um, you know you're going to be an everyday center fielder for us. And at that moment, I was like, "Wow! Like, I haven't had that opportunity before. I've kind of been fighting for a job ever since I stepped on campus." And um, and then he was like, "You, we don't have a lot of money set aside, but I want to, I want to put you on a 25% scholarship." And that to me, you know, 25% scholarship to me was just like what like that's that's insane oh my gosh like so me and my four roommates we were in a house at that time went back and told them the news and they wrote me up they wrote me up a a piece of homework paper like on the back side and it said um nli whatever that intent like national letter of intent that you sign when you sign your scholarship deal like they wrote up a handwritten one for me and like took pictures of me with the Nevada hat like I was back a senior in high school for my signing day.
2: <laughs>
0: um oh, it was hilarious. I still have the pictures it was hilarious, but uh just that confidence that he instilled in me to just let me be myself and hey, keep doing what you're doing, I like what you're doing, and you know to keep doing it just. Gave me that confidence that what I was doing was working and to just keep doing it.
1: I love that. Yeah. I mean, Brian could probably speak on the, the part of it too, where it's like, you know, being told that you're our guy, you're playing every day, you don't have to worry about, you know, we're not taking you out of the lineup. Like, you know, is that so? Is that one of those things that just has great effects on you mentally when, when you're told something like that?
0: Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, anytime. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. No,
2: <laughs> go. 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 All you.
0: No, I've been talking. You, you can touch on that.
2: No, it's a- absolutely. It's as a hitter, the, you know, having at bats every day, and seeing pitches every day is the biggest thing. That's why pinch hitting is such a such a hard job. But yeah, when when someone tells you that, and you just you don't put the pressure, all that pressure on yourself each at bat, and think you're living and dying with with each at bat. Which you know, fast forward, you talk about like pro ball. A lot of guys deal with that. Getting worried about like being sent down if they don't produce and that's, you see guys struggle because of that. So college. Yeah. If you know you're that guy and you're, you're going to be in there, you just get to go and play and, and not have that extra worry about it. it's hard enough without worrying about all that stuff. So once you pile that on, man, it afraid to swing at bad pitches. So you miss the good pitches or then you chase because you're too scared. Anyway, it's yeah. It just, mm-hmm. snows, it just
1: snowballs for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's oh, – so I wanted to jump ahead, and we touched on this earlier. Like, can you tell the story of how you signed with the Reds as an undrafted free agent instead of being drafted? It's it's one of the most incredible things I've ever heard.
0: Yeah. Um, like, you want the full thing? You want yeah. the All right. So, yeah, so my red – that red shirt, sophomore year, that year, uh, like I was saying, I had a good fall. Um, and so when scouts come to fall scrimmages and stuff, they get a roster printout, right? And they get a, everyone everyone on that field, their jersey number, so they know who they're looking at and stuff like that. Um, on that printout roster, I guess, it had me listed as a sophomore, just a straight-up sophomore. No no redshirt, because normally it would say redshirt, you're RS-SL, redshirt sophomore. Um, on these handouts, it just had sophomore. And that was that was kind of all they saw. So, you know, I don't know if they were watching, it was like, okay, well, next year's draft or we can go, we can we can look towards next year's draft or whatever it may be. And then fast forward to the season. You know, I had a had a good season, my um, redshirt junior year or sophomore year. And then uh I remember the day before the draft or like the week of the draft, we were playing in the Mountain West tournament. I get a phone call and um it was the Rays area scout who I had seen for three years already. Like he was very, he was around our fall scrimmages a lot at our games, a lot, you know, the Rays drafted a lot of Nevada guys, QB uh, Myers, Miles Masturbani, Justin Bridgman. Like they drafted a lot of Nevada guys. So he calls me and he's like, Hey, uh, we're thinking about drafting you this week in the draft. You know, what, what would you say? And I told him on the phone, I said, oh man, that would be awesome. But like, I'm not draft eligible. And on the phone, on the phone, he, 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 on the phone. And he goes, yeah, no, this is your third year in Nevada. Right. I was like, yeah, well, I'm a junior, but technically baseball wise, I'm a redshirt sophomore. He's like, well, that, that doesn't matter. Like as long as you've been in Nevada for three years, you're draft eligible. And so that was news to me the week of the draft. This whole year I'd gone about it. Like I wasn't, Draft. I wasn't even, cause I wasn't 21. I was a redshirt sophomore. So I thought you had to be at least a junior eligibility wise in baseball to be drafted. So I didn't think I qualified until he told me that the week of the draft. And so I ended up, you know, I told him, Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you for making me aware, but that's just really sudden. And I don't, I don't, I don't even have a, an agent. I didn't even talk to my parents about being drafted. I was planning on going to the Northwoods and just playing summer ball. That was it. So I told him like, thank you, but no thanks. I'll wait till next year. Um, fast forward to the Northwoods. I'm in the Northwoods for like two weeks and I get invited to Team USA, the collegiate national team because um, my coach, T.J. Bruce, had connections with the, the college national coach at that time, Coach Horton from Oregon. They had like ties from before, so he kind of just asked him, as like a, a favor, hey, just for exposure, can you bring him to the tryouts? Not even like to make the team, just to be at the tryouts for a week in L.A. So I got invited to the tryouts um, and then ended up doing well there and impressed, impressed the staff there and actually earned a spot on the team um, with the collegiate national team and started every game for them in left field. Um, during that one month stretch where we played. But that one week at the tryouts, every team and their scouts were there looking at the guys for next year's draft. And uh, I don't know how it came about. I don't know what was said, but at that time was found it was kind of found out that I could have been drafted and that I'm draft eligible. So at that time the draft had already happened. Now they're signing free agents out of out of college or seniors or uh seniors out of college or just free agents and um i get a call from adam karen who's my agent still to this day he calls me and he goes hey um we want to meet they're based out of the bay area where i'm from in california and i was in la and they said hey we want to meet up so they fly down to la and uh we kind of meet up and and i told him like hey yeah like That'd be awesome. I'd love for you guys to represent me. And boom, right into the fire. He starts getting emails, phone calls about what would I, would I be willing to sign right now? You know, what, what, what am I looking for number wise? So in my head, I'm like, you know, I got to decide what I do. I want to go back to school. What do I want to do? And, and uh, so I decided on a number and I'm like, okay, like if it hits this number, I'm going to sign. there's no way it hits that number so we're kind of going through and getting emails and phone calls and uh now i'm going overseas to taiwan that's where we start for team usa so he goes you know i'll send you emails and i'll keep you in the loop of everything happening here and so we go in taiwan and i'm waking up every morning at 7 or 8 a.m. to emails from him with my parents, McDonald. like here's where we're at. Here's what's happening. These teams are offering him this much. So it's starting to get close to my number. And every day there's more teams coming in. And so it's kind of like overwhelming. You know, I can't talk to anyone. I don't have phone service in Taiwan. I can text and email and FaceTime, but that's about it. And so uh, my coach at Nevada FaceTimes me and he knows what's going on. So, you know, he's now now I got him doing everything he can to bring me back to school, come back to school for another year, along with other teams hopping on to get me to sign. Um, and so it just kind of turned into like a, a bidding war in type of like, you know, who had money left over from the draft is basically what they're going for. Like after they've signed all the guys in the draft, who has leftover money? So it comes down to maybe four or five teams where it's all in the same vicinity of what I signed for. And at that point it had surpassed what I said, you know, would take for me to sign. And then at that point, you know, I sat down with my agent and we just kind of evaluated everyone's draft scenarios, everyone's minor leagues of like who has outfielders, like developed outfielders who are going to be moving up soon, where guys stand. Um, and so we kind of just, like, looked at looked at all the possible options. And, you know, we decided that the Reds would be the best fit for me.
1: How big of a difference was that for you? Because, you know, a couple years prior to that, we talked about how, you know, you could have gone the JUCO route, the colleges weren't really that interested in you, and then just a few short later years later, your phone's blowing up and teams are, like, clamoring to get at you. Is that Was that weird for you?
0: Oh, it was wild. It, it was wild. You know, my freshman year of college, I barely made the team. And I had 16 at-bats and 18 appearances as a pinch runner. And then come back my sophomore year, and I, you know, I was, I was redshirted. Um, basically told, you know, I wasn't going to play at all on that team my sophomore year, which, you know, that team ended up going 41 and 15. Like, it was insane. That team was incredible. So, like, you know, I was, I was glad I redshirted to save a year of eligibility. But um, that's always tough. Hearing like, hey man, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna play much. You know these guys are gonna play in front of you. Um, so that was tough. And then yeah, and then, then next year, a year later, you know, I'm having these conversations with with these teams of possibly signing as a free agent and then going right to play pro ball. You know, I go Taiwan to Japan to Cuba, and then okay, now you go back home. We'll give you a week to go pack your things up in Nevada and then we want you in Billings, Montana on August 4th. So, I mean, it happened quick, but you know, it was, it was, it was amazing.
2: Yeah. And Billings, what a place that is the best. Um, what, so when you, when you finally get back and like you go to Billings, what was your first impression of pro ball being in Billings Were you like, Holy shit, what did I just do? Or were you like, all right, this is pretty cool. Let's
0: do it. Um, you know, I think just Billings wasn't wasn't bad at, at all, you know, compared to some of the other other places in that in that league. Billings great. Um, yeah, and, and getting to the ballpark was beautiful. And I'm like, all right, like this is cool, like let's go. But I think the biggest thing for me was was the culture of of the locker room. And kind of walking in that locker room the first time after these guys get done with BP. And, I mean, you know how it is. You're just hanging out after BP and you got, like, you got all this stuff going on in one corner and then you got, like, the Latin guys over here talking and telling jokes and stuff. And, you know, for me, I, I had just come from Cuba. so like I had seen kind of, like, you know, that, that, that stuff. But once you're in a locker room with it, in a, in a baseball locker room with, with a different group of guys, then it kind of hits you. Of like, okay, now I'm, now I'm in pro ball. Like this is, this is this is what I this is the stories I hear. You know, now now we're doing it.
2: And what happened in your your first pro game there?
0: Mm. First, so first pro game I, was I remember. In. I
2: remember this, by the way. I actually do remember. Like I remember JA this whole like story playing out. I'd be like, who the fucks is Friedel, dude? I think <laughs> I don't know if I was in Dayton or if I was in Daytona, but I'm like hearing the story, and then. Go ahead. Hear what, so, what happens next.
0: So uh yeah, so I wasn't supposed to play. I remember talking to Ray Martinez, who's the manager at the time. And I was hitting BP and, and I had just flown in an hour before BP. So, you know, he was like, We'll get you a day to adjust, you know, get unpacked, settle in, you'll be in the line tomorrow. Well, I guess Siri hurt his thumb stealing a base the night before. Yeah. So he, he so he couldn't uh he couldn't hit BP, so he couldn't play. So he comes up to me at the BP and goes, hey, man, I hate to do this to you, but you think you can play tonight? I'm like, yeah, let's go. Why not? So first at bat, I hit a home run. You know, I hit it off the bat, and I'm like, wow. You know, I hit three home runs my whole career in college. My first at bat, a pro ball, I hit a hit a home run. So I'm like, hmm, okay, that's that's cool. Good, good start. Good start. <laughs> yeah, good start. Second at bat, second at bat a follow 2 I get hit in the back foot with a curveball, so whatever. Third at bat come up, home run. Now I'm like, what's happening? I don't think I've ever had a multi-home run game in my life, let alone my first game in Pro Bowl. Um, and then my last at bat, I lay down a bunt single. Go back to my roots, what, what I know I'm good at. <laughs> I lay down. <laughs> and I laid on a laid on a drag button single, um, and then again, I ended up scoring a winning run in the in the ninth or maybe the eighth or something like that. And we ended up winning like four three. But yeah, that was that was the debut three for three with a hit by pitch, two bombs, and a and a bunt single.
2: It's kind of tough though because you can't really do any better than that, you know. Everyone's gonna have nope. really high expectations S- for you.
0: Set S- S- the set <laughs> S- the expect came in really hot with the expectations there. Kind of said those. I think I was there for maybe a month or whenever the season ended, and I hit one one more home run. The rest of the time I was there, two in the first game, and then just nothing. I was out to.
2: You were just not. You were just totally not thinking. Probably dead tired from running around, oh. flying in. You're just like, yeah, whatever. Whack,
0: whack. <laughs> whatever happens, happens. No expectations here, and then it's yeah. the best game.
2: <laughs> That's great. I was. I want, to, I want to backpedal just a, a little bit, and then I'll let Jay get back in here. How, how cool was it playing for the U.S. national team? And, like, what, what did that kind of mean to you and, and do for you?
0: Oh, it was, it was incredible. Like, you know, I, it was funny because I had just watched pretty much all these guys that I'm playing with at this – with this USA team. I had just watched them a month prior when I was in the Northwoods in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Watching the College World Series, watching this whole team that I'm now playing with on the collegiate national team, you guys from Florida, Vanderbilt, all these SEC big SEC schools, and, and I'm from Nevada, and and I'm here mixed with this group and kind of seeing like the talent. You know, we don't play SEC schools, ACC schools. We don't play any any big conference schools. Um, so kind of like seeing that talent level of like that mixed group. And then getting to face them at, at the trial, because it was all basically getting squad scrimmages. So getting to face them at the at the trials and stuff like that. Um, it was really cool and it only elevated my game more playing with those guys and that competition and kind of seeing like how these guys play and like and then we go back to confidence, right? Of I could play with them. Like I'm I'm just as good as these guys are. So like it was it was just another another confidence level where it's like you kind of, I was just watching these guys on TV in the college world series, the best of the best in college baseball. And now I'm sharing a field with them, playing with them, competing with them. So that was an awesome, awesome experience.
1: Love that. So, you know, to kind of take it forward a little bit, you're going through the minor leagues and, you know, you played a little bit for the Reds last year, but I, talking about this year, like the Reds have kind of mm-hmm. had you on the option game a lot. I think, you, you know, was it four or five times already up and down? Yeah, a four, four times. I mean, like, how do you take that? Do you take that, like, all in stride? Like, what, what's your mindset when, you know, you might, you might be trying to get into a groove and then maybe things don't go your way and you get sent back down again? How, how do you play through all that?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, especially for my first time kind of going through it, uh, it was tough the first couple times because, you know, I, I, I had a good spring training. And so the first time I got called up was about two weeks into the season, two or three weeks into the season. So I come up. Um, and it was only for like four or five days, I remember. And then it was kind of like right back down to Louisville. But, uh, the second time when I came up was May 1st and I was up May 1st to like almost the whole month of May, i want to say. And I was playing every day. I got every opportunity. Um, I just, you know, wasn't able to, wasn't playing my best baseball. And I knew that. And I, and I was pressing really hard, and I was trying to force things to happen and um, trying to make things happen for this team instead of just being myself and going out there and playing. Um, but, I mean, I was playing every day. I think I got, like, 90-something 90, 90 at-bats when I was up here in that month. Like, I got every chance to play, and I knew I wasn't playing like myself. So when I got optioned down – you know, I wasn't I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. I was more upset at myself for for not being myself and not playing like myself and and pressing. Um so when I got option down, that was kind of, you know, I took that as another lesson. You know, every time this year, it's been crazy going up and down, up and down. But every time you go up and down, there's a lesson to be learned. Whether it's performance-based or whether it's hey. You were only supposed, to, you were only, I was only going to come up here for someone got injured. Right. And then as soon as that person got activated, I was going to go back down. Like there's, there's a lesson every single time. And then after the trade deadline this year, we traded some guys away, Maquin, Fam, And so I saw kind of some outfield spots opening up. And so I've been playing well in Louisville and just, you know, hoping for that next opportunity and just waiting. And so when I got called back up August 16th, you know, I really wanted to make sure that this time around I just played like myself I didn't put any pressure on myself to perform. I didn't, I didn't force myself to be someone I wasn't. Whatever however I play, whatever I do, whatever I was doing in Louisville, especially at that time in Louisville, I'd been, I'd been doing well. And you know, I think I was down there for almost two months after I got auctioned down that last time. And, you know, I kind of figured some things out. In my swing made some swing adjustments. Um, and just told myself, you know, this time up, you know, kind of like what Brian was talking about earlier about uh that confidence level of once you're getting kind of scarce at bats or you're putting pressure on at bats, and it's like, okay, well, I don't, I don't want to swing at a bad pitch. You get a fastball on the middle, and it's like, why did I just take that? Like, you're not, you're not aggressive. You're not ready to hit because you don't want to make a mistake. And this game's already hard enough. So if you're telling yourself, don't make a mistake or, hey, wait for your pitch or be patient, you're already making it harder on yourself on a game that's already hard. And so, you know, this time around, I just wanted to be aggressive, play how I was playing, take my same approach, how I was playing the Louisville up here. It's the same game, same game, same people. Everyone's the same. So, uh yeah, I think, you know, that, that lesson kind of that I learned that last time going down to Louisville has helped me right now into where I'm at in terms of like, whether I go four for four or oh for four, you know, that's, that's not going to affect me tomorrow. I'm not going to carry that weight on my shoulder and I'm not going to bring this into tomorrow and be like, oh man, I didn't get a hit yesterday. So I really got to get two hits today. I got to get three hits today and show them, show em, you know, I can stay here. Like, No, because I wasn't doing that in AAA. So why would I do that here? You just got to take the same mentality. So that's really helped me a lot this time around.
2: What was that swing adjustment?
0: Going back to kind of like what I was saying. uh, So how I swung, that swing adjustment I made in college, you know, in between my sophomore and junior, I, I opened up my stance with that little leg kick. But what that does is it frees me up to kind of like dance with the pitcher and my timing. And so before when I was kind of like no stride and short and compact and simple, um, my timing was really short and I had a short, short window to kind of get to my, get to my point. Um, but what was going on last year, and last year it was it was incredible, right? And it worked and it was amazing and I was in sync. But one thing I kind of noticed this year, if my timing was off in the slightest or if I wasn't in my legs, then my body would be searching for somewhere else to find energy to go into the ball. So I started lifting up out of my legs and coming up out of my swing. When I started in my legs, then I'd come up out of my swing out of my legs and my barrel drops. And now my body's this way trying to hit the ball. And I was popping up a lot miss missed fouling balls off to the left side a lot. Um, So when I went back down to Louisville, I just opened up, went back to my stance, how it was, you know, in college, my first, two or three years of pro ball. And so now I'm more upright. And when I swing, I'm going up to down now. So I'm landing in my legs, staying in my legs, in my swing. So I'm staying through the ball. And I think that mostly for me, it's just loosening up, being free and easy and letting my body work how it's supposed to.
1: When we talk about those times during, you know, the season where you're you're trying to press and things aren't going your way. Like how much pride do you take in your defense ability? I, I was watching in St. Louis the other night, you were flying around making diving catches. Like, do you know that at the end of the day, regardless of what you do at the plate, you always are, have gold glove caliber defense in the outfield to give?
0: 100%. And that's something that I was taught. Do you remember Braggy?
2: How could that's I forget I was... Braggy? Braggy. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> what a, what a gem. Um, that's what I was taught from him. And that's something that he always prided himself on his hustle, his, his base running, his defense. Like, because that's something every single day that you can control. You can't control whether you go out there and go four for four or 0 for four, but you can control your hustle after a ball in the gap, cutting off a ball in the gap, getting into the relay, throwing the guy at home, making a diving play in the outfield, backing up the right base on the base path, taking that extra 90 feet, getting the ball in dirt, read, stealing an extra base. Like that's something like what I was saying earlier with my speed, right? That's an advantage that I have that I've learned to use in my game that not everyone has. I don't have Aaron judge size to hit home runs whenever I want, but I have speed that I can help impact the game by taking an extra bag, getting a ball in dirt, read, putting in that extra hustle to help win a game. So I kind of I just if my bat's not there, I know I have my defense and my and my base running.
2: One thing I, I always liked about you is you, you are you're like that grinder, that that word so overused, but grinder just that scrappy like gamer, and I always love that about you. And Braggy, Darren Bragg, J. A. He played in big league for a long time. One of the uh, top one, I think he was like thirty in the thirties, top one hundred catches of all time. I think he was playing in Boston at the time, but Braggy is one of a fucking kind, just an absolute gem, but man, he'll get you fired up to play some defense and run the bases. Like, Oh yeah. He, like he fucking loves it. And it's, it's just, he's great. So that's, that's hilarious. I love it, but you're right. It's um, I kind of dealt with a little bit of that, like earlier this year, for me, I I messed up my quad beginning of this year and it bothered me for like three months. And I really couldn't run a hundred percent, but they just wanted me to, they just wanted me to hit. They didn't really care how I was playing in the field, but it put in my mind, it put so much more pressure on me to, to hit
1: because I I felt
2: like I couldn't play defense how I was used to play, used Mm -hmm. to playing it. So yeah, when you can contribute that speed, whether it's defense or whether it's, you know, dropping a bunt down and getting on base and stealing a bag or just taking that extra base. Like that makes a huge difference in yeah. your own confidence for playing the entire game because yeah, no matter how good you are, it's the cliche, but like you suck. You suck seven out of 10 times. Yeah. If you're, re- if you're really
0: in your hall and you're, all, and in you're hall of famer if you only suck <laughs> yeah. seven out of 10 times, you're so, in the hall of fame.
2: So like, if you're putting all your stock into just that, man, you get like, that's it. That's, that's a tough life right there, for sure.
0: It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to put on your back. Like you said, Any game of failure, that's that's hard to do.
2: I'm glad to, to see you kind of coming in. You're growing here and playing well. It's been fun following and your little, little power surge going on. I know you had the, the two-homer game, right? I saw that in there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, I appreciate uh, that, man.
2: But we're going to – we'll get you – J.A. is going to get you with the rapid-fire questions, then we'll let you get out of here and enjoy your off day.
1: So, I saw that you grew up right outside of Pittsburgh. What are your favorite parts of, like, growing up in that area? And then how cool is it getting to go back and play at PNC all those times in Cincinnati?
0: Yeah, it's uh, so I was born there. And then I actually moved to California when I was five, like, just with my immediate family. But we'd go back there every Christmas break or summer vacation. Um, And I always loved going back there because it was always slower than what i was used to like life on the east coast is (laughs) brian you know about that just a little bit it's it's relaxed you know no one's in a rush and no one's trying to no one's trying to get from a to b super quick and and uh and i always love that about pittsburgh you know it's always kind of like laid back atmosphere and and uh that's how my family in pittsburgh is and um and then getting to go back there and play last last year I got caught up the last two weeks of the season, and just so happened the last three games of the season last year were in Pittsburgh. so um, I got to see all my fam all my family came out to those games and and got to see me play at the major league level in Pittsburgh. Um, and then incredibly enough, this year, same thing all I think after next week, we'll have played in Pittsburgh four times, and I have been at all four. Surprise! Like as up and down as I've been this year, every time that we played in Pittsburgh, I've been up with the big league team. Um, and every time we go back, like when I first got called back up on August 16th, we played two games at home against the Phillies, and then we went on the road. I had no clue where we were going on the road because I hadn't even planned out that far in advance yet. One of my buddies on the team uh told me, "Like, oh, you excited to go back to Pittsburgh and see your family?" I was like, what? Yeah, we're leaving for Pittsburgh tomorrow. And so I'm like, so, and we had an off day in Pittsburgh too. So um, my dad and my sister had drove from Cincy to Pittsburgh or from Pittsburgh to Cincy to watch me play when I just got called back up. And dress and Sen were out here um, as well, like at that time. So after that day game, we had an off day the next day and I went and talked to DB, David Bell, our manager, just to see if I could go out and drive to Pittsburgh with my family. And, and you know, he was – he loved it. He was all for it. Like, he's big. with was family and family time and stuff. It's, it's amazing. Um, but just having that opportunity to have an off day during the season, get to go to Pittsburgh and, and barbecue at my sister's house and have all my family come over and just hang out in the backyard all day. Like, you don't get moments like that during the season. That, that's very rare. And so the fact that I was able to get that in Pittsburgh with my family and get to spend time with them was incredible.
2: that has got to uh, there's got to be some rhyme or reason there because in nineteen we did the same thing and ended in Pittsburgh. So Delaney was really? with him. my wife was with yeah my wife was with me, and DB let us let me drive from Cincinnati to Pittsburgh so I could just drive back home and, and then <laughs> to, head home after, afterwards. And guess what? We got about two hours outside Cincinnati in the middle of nowhere in Ohio and I got a flat tire and it was like 6 45 p.m. on like a random weekday and it took me I thought I was thought we were just gonna be stuck it took me forever to find some like random Walmart first time I ever seen a oh. Walmart had a uh like total like automotive like garage they changed my really? tire and I made That's it to lucky. Pittsburgh that night. So you're welcome for figuring out how to get there and not blowing that for you a couple of years later.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because that one instance could have ruined the whole thing.
2: <laughs> DP would have been like, no chance. I remember
0: that. Crazy I've been down. I've been down I've been down that road. Nope, not happening again.
1: <laughs> love that. Pittsburgh's the greatest city on the planet. So anytime I see somebody from that part of the country, it's you know, have to ask about that. It's it's the best. Um God, so- I love it. What's your relationship with your cousin, John Calipari, like?
0: Uh, it's good. It's, it's grown a lot over the last three, about two years. I always we, We've always had a relationship with him, um, even when he was at Memphis. I remember being like seven or eight years old, and they were in the final four in San Francisco. And that's when we lived in Northern California at the time. And um, me and my dad drove out. the team hotel in san francisco met up with him his family was there we had breakfast and stuff and went to the game that night but you know anytime he played on the west coast you know he would always be in touch with my dad we would always go watch him play um so i've always known him coming up but never been in in direct contact me and him texting and talking um Last year when I was playing in Louisville, he came out to a couple games. There were a couple times during the summer when he had some downtime and 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 he texted me. And um actually let me rewind. Sorry, I skipped the whole part. Um 2019, after me and my wife got married, he came out. That was the first time they played. because um, we me and my wife live in Las Vegas now. So that was the first time they played in that. CBS Classic or it's uh, a big, it's a big classic that they have at T-Mobile Arena, and it's always around like December, and it's like always like Kentucky, Ohio State, uh, Michigan, and North Carolina. It's like that. It's like a state rotation, like four good basketball powerhouses. Um, and my dad, I was, that was the first time when my dad was like, "Hey, text John. Here's John's number. Link up with him." And, you know, so I text him and you know, I was all nervous. This is my first time talking to talking to Cal Perry. I'm like, what do I say? Like, hey, let's meet up for dinner. You're like, I don't want to be too pushy. I know he's got a tight schedule. And so I text him and just to link up at any time he had. And he responded within like a minute. I'm like, hey, we're having dinner tonight with the family. You and Dress, come on down. So we met him down at the hotel um, at, this, at this restaurant. And, um, you know, kind of hung out and had dinner. For hours i mean we were there for a while just hanging out and talking talking stories and growing up and him growing up with my dad and and uh playing basketball with my dad growing up and um uh, it was cool to hear like stories from him because i've heard stories from my dad and my uncle growing up with calipari and sean miller and those guys but hearing it from calipari's perspective you know is is a is a whole different thing so that was the first instance where I didn't need my dad to hang out with Calipari. It was just, no, I'll text him on my own and we'll hang out and do whatever. And so last year when I was playing in Louisville, he texted me and said he's going to come to some games. And so I was just kind of hit him up throughout the season. Hey, let me know when you're coming. So he came out a couple of times. Um, and then last year when I got called up, my dad flew out, obviously, for, for like a week when I was called up. And so he actually, Calipari came up with his son, Brad, to uh, a couple games up here in Cincy, watch me play with my dad, um, and then yeah, then this past year again, he CBS Classic in Vegas, we went back there and watch it, go watch the team practice, go to dinner with him and his family and stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, over the past couple of years, we we've really like, we text now. Some happens, he watches like a highlight, like that catch the night in St. Louis. He'll send me a video watching the sports Center and. Be like crazy watching you on Center, And uh, so, yeah, we got, a, we got a good relationship.
1: Wow. That's incredible. So are you a diehard Kentucky basketball fan now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I have been since Derek Rose. I mean, since even when he was uh, at Memphis with Derek Rose, and then he hopped over to Kentucky with John Wall. I mean, I used to wear those when Kentucky had the blue shorts with the checkers down the side. I think that was 11, 11 or 12. Maybe that was the year they won the Natty. Uh, but they had the checkers on the side. They had that John Wall look. And I used to wear those at school in California all the time. <laughs> I thought I was so cool wearing the Kentucky basketball shorts to school. And I wear like a blue Kentucky sweatshirt with my Kentucky basketball shorts. And <laughs> yeah, I, I always rep them. That's
1: the best. Yeah, I love that. Um, what's your favorite memory or story of playing with Joey Votto?
0: It's tough, you know, because just listening to the guy talk. About hitting is, is incredible, and I think last year last year there was a game where I wasn't playing and he was DHing, and we were in the batting cages underneath um, during the game. and just listening to him talk details of hitting, the tiniest details of how he knows when something's not right in his swing. and Brian you can. You can touch on this, too, because I know you, you know just as well as anyone else. He knows his swing and his body so well that he's able to tell after an at-bat of the tiniest detail that didn't feel right and correct it before his next at-bat. He'll know, he'll know exactly what his hands aren't working right. He's not, not syncing. His hands aren't synced up with his body, his timings, whatever it is. He's able to pinpoint that, not after the game, watching film watching his at-bats like the rest of us no he Mm. pinpoints that during the game and corrects it before his next at-bat I think that's probably the most amazing thing I've ever seen in person and that was when I first got called up last year so like not even a week of being called up but like watching that happen in person in real time was incredible just like that's why he's so good and that's why he's always been so good is because he knows his body and his swing so well that it doesn't it doesn't take him a game to correct what he feels it's it, it's at bat tap bat probably even pitch to pitch I, I wouldn't even doubt if it's pitch to pitch but he's he's so in tune with his swing and his body that he knows what's wrong what's going what's what's different that day
2: joey's joey's different animal when it comes to that stuff man he's a smart dude and
0: Smart, smart, smart guy.
2: He's, he's just is yeah, his attention to detail is, is second to none for sure.
0: Also, one of the best chess players I've ever seen in my life.
2: <laughs> or yeah, last week we had um Morgan Gregory on here as yep. our guest. And we asked we asked Morgan about playing playing chess with Joey Vada. So yeah. Did he play <laughs> him in chess? They used, to, yeah, they used to when Morgan was there, that was that was the thing. And now he says that. They play on online or whatever, but Joey is like, Joey's only into the fast games. So, like yeah, he just murders Morgan in like three minutes now instead of Morgan. <laughs> the only chance Morgan has is if he takes a half hour to like make Joey bored. So,
0: <laughs> that's I, wa- I watched him play Kino. I think it was, I mean, oh it was a while ago, but you know, Kino just thought he was the best best. He thought he was the best at, at chess. And, uh, I think, Aquino, know, I, I don't know when I came into the, into the game or the match, whatever. I don't know how many moves they were in, but all I remember is walking in and Joey's like, you're already done. I already know you're, you're already toast <laughs> three moves later. He he's like, yep, that's it. And I like, like, I don't even know what happened. I don't know chess, but I watched, I heard him tell Aquino three moves ahead that, yeah, you're already done. And then that's it. That was it. So I think this offseason I'm gonna try and learn chess. There you go.
2: Not, not,
0: That's not to, not know. to play him, just so I know what he's doing <laughs> and how good. Because I can't even process how good he actually is. Because I don't even know what's happening.
1: I have one last one for you. So, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received?
0: Best piece of advice I've ever received. You know, I think it would. Uh, it would have to be back when I was in college, and it was the year I redshirted we brought in this, um, this mental skills coach, like uh, this kind of like mental skills coaching group. And, and they always talked about, you know, how hard the game is and, and, and the mental aspect of the game, which has really been coming to light over the past couple of years. Um, luckily I learned about that in college Because had I not known about, like, you know, how tough the mental aspect of the game is and how to stay on top of that, pro ball would have been a lot tougher, to be honest. Um, But, you know, one of the biggest things that these guys always talked about was, uh, I remember to this day, and I always remember, like, you have every right to be on the same field as the person next to you or whoever you're playing against doesn't matter what their accolades are doesn't matter what their reputation is doesn't matter what what their what their title is you know they're just another man just like you they're no they're no better than you they're no greater than you you don't have any reason to feel less than you're the same person so once i kind of took that and put that into my own you know kind of took away any intimidation or any like Oh, especially in college, right? Like, in college, I had no reputation. I I'd, I'd just redshirted. I mean, you got All-Americans. There's All-American pitcher, oh, Friday Night Starter, like, just another guy. He's 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 another guy in college, just like me. You know, we're both trying to get to the same level. We're both trying to get to the same place. Um, And that kind of helped me build my confidence up. Instead of starting in a 10-foot hole of like, oh, well, I'm a red shirt and this guy is an All-American, so I'm already in a hole. Like, no, we're the same guy. We're the same exact person. You might have had a better year than I did last year, no doubt about that. But, you know, we're the same person. So that kind of helped me balance my mentality in terms of, you know, I'm a good player. I deserve to be here. I know what I'm capable of. You know, I've earned this. Everything I've done, I've earned. And, uh, yeah, just kind of build off of that. And then, you know, once you start seeing success. And that's the other, I think, the other big piece of advice that I would say and add on top of that is, and I don't remember who told me this. might have been a book. But in this game, to never get in, Brian, you can probably – You can probably attest to this. Never get too high on your highs and too low on your lows. Stay level-headed, level-keel, and try and keep as straight as a line as you can. Because if you get too high on your highs, this game will humble you real quick. You know, the game of baseball, even the game of life, we don't have to make it baseball. The game of life, baseball, doesn't owe you anything. You're not owed anything in life. And, uh it'll humble you real quick. If you get too high on your highs and you start feeling like you're untouchable, you know, you, there's a lot of things that can humble you. So I think that's another piece of advice I would say that I got at a at a young age that helped me a lot, especially in times of trouble. Like when you're slumping in this game, it feels like the days go by real slow. But, uh, you know, if you kind of try and keep a level head keep a keep a good balance in there there's always a light at the end of the tunnel so
2: well TJ, that, that's thank I you there. so much thank you so much for coming on dude it's been great catching up with you and great having you on here and hearing your story and and all that stuff man just thank you so much we really appreciate it i appreciate you. it yeah.
0: thank you guys on, for man. thank you guys for having me i appreciate it man
1: and before we get out of here a special thank you to the band stick figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music by the weight of